0: Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd psalm. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Never be in lack. When lack comes into our lives, whether in finances, whether in relationships, whether in unfulfilled dreams, whatever lack comes, God says, don't worry about it, even sickness. Because God promises, because I'm your shepherd, I know how to guide you skillfully into that total restoration. Amen? How many of you have felt that restoration from God? I have. By the grace of God. So when it says, I shall not want, that means I will never be In lack. Needs will come. But when we look to the shepherd, he somehow miraculously fills that need. Hallelujah. The next verse says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The sheep like to lie down in a nice meadow and have fresh young grass. And God says, that's exactly what I give to you. All that you need to give you sustenance and vibrancy in your life. Only God can do it. He leads me beside the still waters. That word still means peaceful. Peaceful waters. In the midst of chaos, we hear about the fires from Canada. COVID-19. We hear about wars across the seas. And within our own country, in our own city, So many difficulties that people face. And yet God says, I promise you peace. Jesus said in John's Gospel, My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, but my peace I give to you. And that peace is able to sustain us. It's able to revive us and then give us hope to continue to do the right thing before God. He leads me beside the still waters. Meditation requires that you close your eyes sometimes and that you take a deep deep breath and you start to think of serene pictures in your mind. But none of that can solve the deepest problem of human beings which is chaos within, which is Sin, which is separation from God, which is violence and fighting against one another. God's peace comes into someone, and we become a peacemaker. In Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When we make peace, God says, that's the mark of my child. God is the author of peace. He leads me beside the peaceful waters. The next verse, He restores my soul. God is able to miraculously pick me up from the ground up. When I feel faint, some people feel faint in their bodies, physically. Other people feel faint in their minds. They're crippled by fear, anxiety, past memories haunting them. And they wish they can go back and do things over. And because they don't have a solution that haunts them and every day they live they have to find diversions to try to get their mind off of that pressure. God says I can bring peace right into your pressure and relieve you and restore your soul. The deepest part of us. Not only that, God doesn't take us out of the mess, out of the chaos and out of the pressure and then leave us hanging in limbo And say, well, I've taken away the burden, now find your way. That's not what God does. God says, not only will I take you away from that which is pressuring you and bringing you down. Now, after I remove the burden, I will take you by the hand and lead you in the paths of righteousness for my name's sake. For his name's sake. Hallelujah. The next verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How many of you have been near death's door? In the valley of the shadow of death? You've seen loved ones? You've been there? Sometimes no one knows about it. A person is in the midst of a crisis, in the middle of the night, and you know what? There's no discrimination as far as age or gender or nationality. It's a human dilemma. We can get so crushed with the weight of fear of death and death itself. But God says, even in that dark valley, I am telling you, don't fear the evil things. I'm giving you hope. Look to me. I will transform that situation. Miracle only God can do. And the psalmist says, King David says, and all of God's people say, because you are with me. Why do I not fear evil? Because I know God is with me. Your rod, to keep the sheep in the right path, and your staff, they comfort me. God gives the comfort. The next verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God does the job thoroughly. Not only does it take a person from rags to riches spiritually relationally many times financially but it takes them through a path called righteousness and then all of the enemies for example, a person may have been addicted to various substances the person is a good person but they've got caught up in the pressure of trying to perform and trying to compete and trying to gather the most toys and trying to win a name for himself or herself with the people and under that pressure they lack sleep and when they lack the sleep they begin to do what? look for ways to counter that And good people, it's not just people who choose wrong deliberately, but good people, all of a sudden end up in the wrong place. And God says, the very thing that kept you down and under and controlled your life, whether it be drugs, alcohol, immorality, greed for money, whatever it is, God says, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of that very thing that was controlling your life, I will defeat it and I will lift you up over that. Who can do that but God? Only God can do that. You anoint my head with oil. My cup. If you see the old cups that belong to kings and great magistrates, they're not ordinary cups. Either in appearance or in capacity they're big. Sometimes we can call them chargers. And God fills that. And He says to overflowing, He anoints my head with oil, then my cup runs over. Praise be to God. The next verse, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Hallelujah. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The ultimate end for human beings is not just a deliverance from the crisis here. God wants to take us from zero to where he is the real hero. To live with him. Of what use is it to be delivered from a really pressing problem in this world. Only to find out that in the end we don't end up with God. We can get delivered from various things in this life. From a food shortage. And we get filled and we're so thankful and happy. From a crisis with relationships. And God solves that and we are even more happy There's a need for fulfillment. And we find a string of unfulfilled, maybe unrealistic dreams. And that haunts us. Things are broken. And maybe all of those things get fixed, which would be a true miracle. And even with that, this rags-to-riches story, everything's fine, but at the end of the day, I don't end up with God. Of what use is it? The Lord says, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The soul is the ultimate thing. All the things that come through the mind, through the body, from the world, they are trying to choke the soul, destroy the soul, So that we end up away from God which is darkness and misery forever. But this psalm, in these short six verses, takes a person who is bound by fear, bound by lack, bound by pressure and oppression, and God takes all of it away, gives victory right in front of the enemies, but then the ultimate thing is, He says, Goodness and mercy are commanded by me to follow your life. I have ordained that goodness and mercy will follow your life to the point that you'll end up with me and you will live with me in my house forever. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May the word of the Lord touch our hearts. May this word help us to see, to recognize that there's not a problem in our lives, not one problem that God cannot solve. The more we walk with God, we see God solving this problem. Maybe the first problem you ever heard God say, I can solve this, and you had unbelief. And you saw this as a mountain higher than this ceiling. And how am I ever going to solve this problem? And yet, you hear God's voice saying, but I can do it. And you say, Lord, but it's been there so long. God says, I can do it. But Lord, people have told me that It's not going to go away just like that. God said, I can do it. God is speaking words of faith to us continuously because He loves us. And to the one who says, I'm going to lay aside all my preconceived notions and experiences and I'm willing to take a risk, the best risk we can ever take, stepping into the God zone. Amen? Stepping into God's hands and saying, Lord, you solve my problem, Lord. And then God solves that mountain. He removes the mountain of hurt and grief and pain and we're a wreck. And all of a sudden we feel light. We feel something new. We feel, God, I feel like I'm born again. That's exactly what happened. When we're born again now, the devil says, well, you're born again. That's as far as you go. Because I'm going to bring a whole bunch of other things to try to snuff that life out that God has given you. Like with Job. The devil came with lots of negativity, lots of threats, lots of manipulation of circumstances to try to do what? Take the life out of Job's soul. But Job wouldn't relent. Job said, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust God. And when one problem goes, and we say, God, how did I ever step into your family? It was through faith, simple childlike faith. So now the next problem comes, God, the same way you helped me to trust you for this big mountain, I'm going to trust you for this. I know it's a risk because it seems even bigger than the other problem. But that faith, when we step into God's zone again and say, God, I'm not going to go by my feelings. I know the weight is heavy, Lord, and the pressure is on, Lord. The heat is up. God, I feel like I'm going to fall apart, but I have one word of hope from you, that you're there for me. And God, I'm choosing to trust you. Hallelujah. We are transported right into the miraculous zone. Because God says that faith will help you to experience the miracle of God. Now, the second thing, big giant comes down right before us. Our hopes are built up. We want to keep going. God says, you see the third mountain that the devil has brought? And he's screaming at you saying, I know you got over the first two hurdles. Those were kind of easy compared to what I have in front of you now. God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I have to believe that. And so the Christian journey continues. Every time the devil says no and my body says no, circumstances say no, I step again, even if it's a small step, like a little child, Lord, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to trust you you know what the evidence of faith is? not only looking back to what God's done before but thanking Him before you see the mountain come down it is so vital because that's where faith is actually realized when God sees that faith even how small He said as small as a mustard seed the Lord said it is so small and yet becomes a big tree Faith is nurtured. The more we're in the presence of God, supernaturally the faith grows. The more we hear the Word of God, all that negativity, all that depression talk from Satan, all that madness, everything gets pushed back. Hallelujah. Madness coming at you from other people who don't know God. We're, we live in a world filled with madness. People just know how to cover it up well for a while. But if we can pull off the mask, people who are not walking in the peace of God, they'll explode. It's God's grace that's holding them back. Because God is trying to get to people before they self-destruct. Hallelujah. And we see, Lord, not only have you brought down my mountain in my private life, my private struggles, but people relationships, Lord, when people come at me with anger, with lies, with put-downs and try to shut me down, Lord. And On the one hand, I have my mind and my past and my body and my failures. On the other hand, I have people coming at me. But remember, the same God who helped you to deal with your problems privately says that when you seek me with all your heart, when you pray to me in secret, I will bless you openly. I will come and handle your problems publicly one by one. What a glorious thing. What king, what president, who can ever guarantee that? What amount of money could ever guarantee that all my problems will get solved, not immediately and all at once, but one by one, I'm seeing God change my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's shout hallelujah to the Lord. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock. I don't know any other message that can save a person from the inside out. And as I said last week, God is not content with you just having your problems solved. He wants you to reach out, give your hand of fellowship and deliverance to another person who is just like you who's drowning and you know it. They know it and you know it because you were there. They may try to cover it up, but they're drowning. And you, because you're delivered and you're healed and because love has taken over your heart, God's love, the indestructible love, you're able to go and Give a hand to the one who's drowning. And then you are able to nurture them and love on them and bring them up and point them to who? The Savior. Hallelujah. The same one who saved you. And you know what? It's God's hand over your hand. When they teach little children penmanship, what do they do? Hand over hand. They don't just say, here, look at the letter, the script. Here's a pencil. Here's a piece of paper. Now do it. No, the teacher puts the hand over that little hand and gently shows the correctness of the strokes and with time and practice the child is able to do a perfect letter we need God's hand when you give your hand to someone who is hurting because God has saved you out of your own little world and instead of being self-centered you become God-centered and other-centered and you go out of your way because you care, you don't want them to drown and you, you lead them out of that, you know whose hand is on your hand? God's hand, hallelujah We have no power to lift anybody out of any misery. None whatsoever. But when God's on the scene, and every time you look to Him, He will give you that superpower to speak and to do the things that Jesus can do. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Praise God. The prophet was able to impart life because he had the God of life working through him. How important it is for each of us to be close to God. And then God will develop us, as I said, to become that healing agent. But you have emotional crisis, relational crisis, things that are dead and and this hostility, this wall. The devil loves a fight. He only doesn't want the fight to be directed toward him. But he likes to cause fights everywhere and watch people destroy each other and then have the last laugh. Jesus says, but that's no way to live. People are dying like that. Even if you have a job, you have a car, you have a house, you have money and you can do whatever you want, you're not living. You're dying because inside there's no peace. You don't have the good shepherd with you. So what God did is he broke that hostility externally as I was speaking about a few minutes ago. You got the external pressure, but you have the bigger one, the internal. God delivered her. Now, she didn't have time. Obviously, to go into all the different things that God delivered it from, and each of us, if you think about anger, anger is an emotion. How many of you struggled with anger before? Somebody's going to clap. I don't think we should clap for that, but it was a spontaneous response from the back. in other words, I agree, you know I can vouch for that i'm well, I can say. So did I, in a very, very bad way. It was not pleasant for the family, for anyone. And uh, it's a dangerous thing. Because anger is not only an emotion, it's a hostility that builds walls. And you know what comes with anger? A whole host of other things. Usually you don't hear these things. With anger comes the silent treatment sometimes, where a person won't talk. And I've been told that people on the other end of that silent treatment feel that it's more hurting to not hear a voice than to even hear a hostile words sometimes, because it's like they're saying, "I don't even want you to exist." It's so hurtful. Anger can bring a vindictive kind of silence that you did this to me or I perceived you to have done this to me therefore I'm not talking to you and that's my way of showing vengeance in a silent way. What do I do with that? You can be seated if you like. What do I do with that? How do I handle that? Sometimes it can go for a couple of minutes and a couple of minutes is enough to kill a person depending upon all that they've gone through and endured in that regard in the past. Sometimes it can go for hours and days, weeks, months, and even years. And that silence can be so hurtful. Now, you also have the words. Anger is not content to be by itself. It can come with words that are cutting and words that are demeaning and words that just are not thought about before they're delivered and it causes uh, more damage one thing I've seen in the scriptures is God says if anger is not removed hear this, not just kept under control if you keep a fire under control but you don't put it out just like in Canada you have the fires that are raging and they say they experienced firefighters when they're flying over Quebec, you know what they see? They're trained to spot not only with their eyes, but their sense of smell is very highly trained. And they're able to actually pick up the scent. These are experienced firefighters over there, veterans. That's what I heard. They're able to pick up the scent of the plumes of smoke. They're actually burning underground. In other words, under all of their foliage. They may be small fires, but very soon they can become big fires. Anger. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.31, I want you to, God says, get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, arguing and and resistance and fighting, and also uh, malice. And all these things that cause this enmity, he says, get rid of these things, evil speaking that goes along with that. You know, you can read this and hear this and even preach on it. And it may barely make a difference in your life. You know why? Because we haven't allowed the Word of God, every single word, to do its full work. Consequently, I can read scriptures and scriptures and scriptures, even take notes, but I haven't allowed it to take anger out of me. The only way I can remove this vengefulness, and we can become selective, especially when we're born again. And this is the bigger danger. When we have tasted God's love, and we know we're convicted, I should not be like this. We can have areas and people that we deal with where we selectively show our anger many times where the general public or the church doesn't see but we are we are in a position where God is saying I want you to be anger free across the board now there's a mountain for you for those who have not felt here's a mountain for you this big mountain called anger And people say, you know what? Everybody has some anger. So there's justified anger and unjustified anger. Does God get angry? What a great question. Does God get angry? He does. But you know the kind of anger God has? It's when people get hurt. It's very different. Because a lot of times, people get angry because of the perceived hurt, more often than not. Because already they have filtered, okay, this person is talking, even the words that they speak, they could be loving, but I'm not buying it because why? I already have this grid where I'm going to filter that person's words. Is that fair? That's not fair. Yet we can be like that. And we can go on autopilot with that all our lives. Till we see God's love. God is the type of person that has seen all our failures, all our wrongdoings, like no other. And He says in spite of that, the anger and hostility that I have against the devil and the way he's been manipulating you and your partnership with him, I will remove. I will remove so that you can be free. It's a very deep thing, a deep subject. But it's something that we may not think about and yet has such a very huge impact. You know what? Even to the point of our standing with God. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their sins, whatever they've done against you, neither will my Father forgive you. That's a hard word. That means that I can't go to heaven if I don't forgive. And what will prevent me from forgiving? Many times this anger. This hostility. And with that comes bitterness. That I feel uneasy. Some people feel that in their chest, in their head, there's pressure A lot of things happen. You know what they try to do? Watch a movie. Go out and hang out. Drink. Take drugs. Exercise. Eat. Travel. Have you ever felt that? When you get so angry that it starts affecting your body, your chest, your mind, your your brain, your nerves, and no matter what you do, it's like, I need to cool off, but I don't know how to do this. And eventually, by God's mercy, even people don't seek Him, God, in His mercy, prevents us from destroying ourselves and other people completely. Isn't it marvelous? When you think about all the people that live on the planet, billions of people, imagine if all of the anger was manifested. It only takes one person in a room to explode Hurt a whole bunch of people. Now, what will happen if everybody explodes at the same time? Since I was a teenager, I used to marvel at that. I used to think, God, I know how this world is because I see myself. I know when I get angry, when I used to get angry, that it can become very destructive. It can hurt people. I end up hurting myself. And what if everybody was that way to me? Maybe it'll come to blows and all kinds of things. What about the Christian? I have to ask myself, number one, as a human being, are you over this destructive thing? Have you seen what it's done? Do you read the papers? What anger causes to happen? People die. They die inside. They die outside. They die totally. Now, as a human being. Secondly, as a born-again person, have I gotten rid of this anger? Or am I selective? And I can say, well, God, I've come a long way. But how many of us know it takes one little spark even after the blazes are contained to start a whole new blaze. Thirdly, as a preacher, as a person who gives the word and any of you who have ever shared the word of God, you are witnessing, you are evangelizing, you are representing Jesus Christ. And when we let this word work into our hearts, we recognize this is a deadly emotion. It's not just an emotion. It causes me to be vengeful. And that's something that is ugly and that is destructive, God. If you told me in Ephesians chapter 4:31, get rid of anger, and I can't say honestly it's gone from my life, but there's some remnants remaining and it causes me to act a certain way, Lord, that is unkind to other people. You know what I need to do? I need to fall at Jesus' feet. I need to treat this thing the way He treats it. That this is very, very vital to your eternity. Remember that. Can a person who's filled with anger get to heaven? When God says, and they'll know you're Christians by your love? Heaven is a place of love, not anger. The only time the Almighty God gets angry is is when he sees the devil messing with people's lives and people cooperating with the devil. But in his anger, did you ever hear of God saying, well, I'm going to get rid of the devil one day, and so I'll get rid of everybody too. No, God gives the longest rope imaginable so that we can get back to where we should be. The place where anger may be most manifest can be between... Loved ones. And God has convicted me many times. Because I've come a long way by God's grace. But even if you don't feel like you're intentionally doing it, you can allow certain things. You know how? Especially when your loved one is very forgiving. When the person you love is not treating you like others would if you would manifest that anger to people outside... Someone that's near you, they may be quiet, they may be passive, they may be uh, praying for you. And you know what? We get to coast and ride on that. Meanwhile, we're carrying that problem of anger and vengeance. So, we're still dying. But we have a false picture and image that the public knows me one way, because I've come a long way, and I know I've come a long way, and even my loved ones know but there's still this spark there that is not good. And god that's why God says, get rid of it. So I have the word, but if I don't let the word become the scalpel to do the surgery that's necessary, but I just want a band-aid, I'll never get healed. I'll never get rid of that infection. Infections. Little Johnny runs across the pavement. He falls, scrapes his knee. Mom comes running over and kisses him and he's saying, Mom, I got this boo boo, this abrasion and it's hurting me and he's screaming. And what do you expect Mom to do? She gives him more pain. What? How? She reaches for the antiseptic and she puts the antiseptic right on the wound and he's screaming even more. Mom, I thought you loved me. It's killing me. And what does mom say? Honey, I'm sorry. And she hugs him, but we have to get rid of the Jeremy's because the Jeremy's will come back and be worse. Does Johnny understand? No. He's confused. He's like, ah, and she comes and, ah. And he looks at mom's face and he's thinking, mom, you love me, right? Mom? Mom? And I mean, it's a human emotion. You know what? We do that with God sometimes. God says, I don't want to band-aid the anger because it's going to turn into something worse. So I've got to give you the word straight like a knife. It's going to hurt. Who among us likes to be told, you're an angry guy? You are mean. Lady, I wish you were not in front of me right now because I don't like you. You are mean. Who hasn't felt that? Have you gone to a convenience store, gas station, talked to relatives, and you know the way they look at you, they don't like you, you're angry and they're angry, it doesn't solve anything. Mom puts the antiseptic, but you know what else she does? It's not the end of the story. She comes with that soothing ointment, and that ointment seals the deal. And now Johnny's back to his senses, Mom does love me, because now The burning is turning into a nice feeling. And I feel the healing come. This is what God does. God takes the strong medicine to confront us right there, even if we don't like it, even if we feel pain. And he says to us He says to us, I have to give you that strong medicine to get rid of that dangerous infection. And once it's gone. I'm going to pour that soothing ointment to heal you. If God Himself says in Ephesians four thirty two, the next verse, but you be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. You see how important it is to know the whole scripture? To teach the whole scripture, to believe the whole scripture, and to do the whole scripture. What if we went around telling people, look, I know you're angry, just love, just forgive. What if I tell people, just forgive, just love, just be tender hearted. but I don't deal with anger. You know what's going to happen? They may have a measure of compliance there, but that wound is going to fester again. It's going to break out another time. God wants to solve the problem. Unless we are so broken about our own anger, unless we go to God and say, God, this is not good. It's only a matter of time before it will erupt again. Unless I say, Lord, I believe your scriptures. Anger like this has no place in my life. Now, I should get angry when others suffer and somebody is afflicting them. But not to the point of hurting of a person of vengeance. Get rid of all anger. Bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. And you know malice? Malice is, you did this to me. You held out on me. I wish something bad happens to you. How many of you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've had those thoughts. When somebody's not nice to you, and they're mean to you, in your mind, and maybe you say it too, I wish something bad happens to that person. That's the manifestation of anger, bitterness, malice. God said you can't have that in your life. You're not going to go to heaven with that kind of attitude. And it's God that brings that strong medicine. Lord, I don't want to be told that. Lord, I don't want to deal with this. But when I let Him give me that antiseptic to destroy that, and the soothing ointment comes, now I can love, be tender-hearted, and forgive.